When I was in college, real quickly, I want to share something with you as we kind of get into the closing here of, of Second Peter. We're going to finish up. Some of you are probably thinking, yes, finally, we're going to study something other than First or Second Peter. You're right. We are, all right? Next week, I just want to encourage you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. You can read ahead, all right? Acts chapter 13 as we're walking through that. But when I was in college during my freshman year, we had these two guys on our hall uh, our dorm hall, and every weekend they would leave as soon as they got out of class on Friday and would come back, sometimes walking into class on Monday morning. And here's what they would do. They would collect all the money they could collect during the week. They would beg, borrow. I don't know about steal, but they definitely begged and borrowed. And they would fill up their car, and they would drive as far as they can and spend half of their money and then turn around and come back. And some weekends they went hundreds of miles away from campus. Now, uh, before you College students get real excited about the idea and think, man, that sounds like a fun weekend. They flunked out after one year, okay? So just keep that in the back of your mind. But one of my friends and I, we had the idea, we thought, man, that'd be a a unique way to spend a couple Saturdays. So second semester of my sophomore years, one of my my sophomore year, one of my friends and I, we determined we would take his car. It was a little Honda Prelude, red convertible, not convertible, but sunroof. And so uh, we thought we were something, all right? And uh, we would take all of our change. This is when you could fill your car up with 20 bucks maximum, all right? And so we would get all of our change, we'd get all of our, our money together, and we, instead of trying to go as far as we could, we would just drive random destinations. Now, we went to college in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, about 30 minutes north of Asheville. Uh, you can get lost when you're trying to find somewhere, all right, in, in these mountains. You're very close to Tennessee, and so we, we would just get in our car, and we would just go, and we would use half a tank of gas, and we'd turn around and come back. Now, some days you went down some great paths, and you would get from road to gravel and gravel to dirt and dirt to what used to be dirt, all right, and we'd just keep on going. And we keep going on these random pathways. We had no idea. This was pre-GPS. Students, you could not uh, you know, figure it out based on pulling out your phone. You, you were stuck, all right? And there were times when we'd have to turn around in a dead end. It was just a college thing that we enjoyed doing. One of the most adventurous moments came when we were sitting on this hillside looking out over a farm, and the elderly gentleman that we assumed owned the farm started to approach us, and we thought, this is not going to turn out real well. And uh, we're on his property. So we started talking, and uh, we just shared what we were doing. We, were, we weren't doing anything wrong, anything bad. And he said, well, why don't you and your friend there, why don't y'all join us for dinner? So we went and joined this random guy for dinner out in the mountains of, I don't even know what state we were in at this point. Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, somewhere up in the mountain areas. Um, and we, we just roamed. We wandered. Peter is trying to warn the church, don't roam. Don't wander. Don't just go down any spiritual path that presents itself and be careful, especially even so the teaching inside the church. Now, this is is something for us to make sure we understand. 2 Peter is not written to say, hey, church, watch what the world is teaching. 2 Peter, Peter's saying, hey, watch what the church is teaching. Watch what you're hearing inside sermons, inside of nowadays podcasts or blogs or sermons or books. Because every one of those paths, every one of those teachers, every one of those pastors, every one of those sermons, every one of those books will take you to a destination. It will lead you to a path. And what we've been examining is how to prevent ourselves from wandering down paths that are dead ends. 
How do we prevent ourselves from wandering down paths that at the end we say, how did I end up here? And some of you are along one of those paths right now, spiritually. You've been wandering a spiritual path. You've been pursuing certain teachings, and you find yourself in this room this morning saying, it's not ended up where I expected. So we've been examining for eight weeks a thousand words. A thousand words we've been examining for eight weeks, and we've examined several things, and I want us to review quickly where we've been so that we all can walk out of here together somewhat on the same page. One of the questions that we've asked numerous times to you over the eight weeks, we've asked it different ways, posed it different ways, a little bit different language, but it comes down to this. If I follow the teaching of a particular pastor, a professor, a mentor, a leader, we must be wise enough, we must be honest enough to ask this question. Where does the message or messenger ultimately lead you? Where does the message or the messenger ultimately lead you? The teaching that you're listening to. And here's what's been challenging about 2 Peter. Those of you who are teachers here in the church or you teach other people, if you're honest, these these three chapters of 2 Peter have made you challenge and examine yourself. There's probably few more difficult chapters and books to teach to as a pastor because it calls you as a pastor to self-examine. Where am I leading you? Am I leading you to... Jesus Christ? Am I leading you to an abundance of Scripture? Am I leading you to those teachings? Where does the message ultimately lead you? Every teacher, every preacher, every professor, every facilitator, every blog writer is leading you a direction. Where will that ultimately take you? If you follow it to its end, where will it lead you? Then we spent two weeks unpacking how to differentiate between an authentic Teacher and a counterfeit teaching. And where do those teachings lead us? And we compared a list from 2 Peter chapter 1 versus 2 Peter chapter 2. And on the left side of the screen this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1. If we follow authentic teaching, here's what it produces. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Now I want you to listen up because you've got to vote on something here in just a minute. Counterfeit teaching produces... If we follow it to where it leads, lack of authority, arrogance, uncontrollable desire for pleasure, selfishness, greed, and anger. How many of you in this room, if you don't have children, you can still vote, or you might have children one day. How many of you want to raise your children according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-7? through 7? Raise your hand. Some of you just don't participate in church. You're just poor sports, really. It's just a hand, all right? Because according to this, I'm a little scared. How many of you want to raise your children according to 2 Peter chapter 2? Counterfeit teaching. Because there's about half of you in the room to raise your hand. It's a little scary. See, there's nobody. We don't want that for our children. And we should not desire that either for our own personal spiritual growth. And Peter says, listen, you've got to examine where the leader's taking you, where the message is taking you, where the teaching is taking you. And is it producing in the people that are following knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love? Or are they without authority, selfish, greedy, angry people? That's the difference. That's where these things will lead if we follow them all the way to their end. And then he comes to a distinct calling in chapter 3, to examine those that were mocking the teaching of, specifically, the return of Jesus Christ. This is a theme throughout all of chapter 3, even into this morning. 
that the return of Christ was a teaching that Jesus Christ had promised his return, had not yet returned, has still not yet returned for his second coming. And so those would mock, those would ridicule and say he missed it. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And two weeks ago, we examined this, that God is not slow. He is patiently waiting that all should turn to him. And this, we said, is an invitation. This is an invitation for you and for me to go while we're waiting upon his return to go and to share the message of Jesus Christ. And what we began to see two weeks ago is how right teaching and right doctrine, right theology begins to intertwine itself with right living. You see, there's an importance here of building healthy doctrine, healthy teaching, healthy understanding of Scripture because it influences our daily lives. And so now we come to the closing five verses. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. Then, therefore, brother, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all these letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity so he starts these last five verses and if i can this morning I want to summarize where we've been through these five verses. Some distinct calling, some distinct calling cards and commandments and leading throughout all of 2 Peter that come for us to see in these last five verses. Four things that I want us to see this morning. We are to be committed today to living distinctly different than culture. We are to be committed to living distinctly different than culture he says in verse 14 therefore beloved since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him and we'll look what he says to be found by him but he says be diligent to be diligent means to be zealous to be committed to something my diligence in something got tested this week Uh, some of you have heard me speak before i i have a hobby that i enjoy happens in October and again around right now. Uh, I enjoy planting tulips. Guys in the room, you want to take my man card? Go ahead, come get it in October when I got the shovel in my hand, all right? In October, I I plant tulips, and I take a day of vacation to to plant tulips. It's it's just a a, a weird little hobby that I have that I enjoy. And this year, I got a little carried away, uh, planted about 250 tulips, all right? Now, I mean, I, I outlined it. I've got this really cool winding one. You know, this, they're all starting to come up. And, and this is great. This, this nice warm weather that we had up until about eight days ago was fantastic until eight days ago. Last Sunday night, it was supposed to get below freezing, real below freezing, which means if you're a flower person, you know 
that if they've got buds, you've got to cover them up, which means that we had to cover up 250 tulips. Yay, says my family. Which means also that any sheet is, that is in our house is now fair game for the yard, all right? And so last Sunday evening, uh, while family was in different places, Jonathan and I, he was the only one home, and uh, so I'm sure he was excited about this. About 8.45, we took our phones out as flashlights. We bundled up, gloves included, to go out in the yard and to cover up all the tulips with flour. I mean, cover up the tulips with sheets. So we started covering them all up, got them all laid out. Everything looked good. We stepped back. It's a little windy. They don't look like sheets covering tulips. They look like flags laying on the ground, all right? They're not going to stay there. So we go and borrow a few stones from the gravel drive next door. I think they might be in this service, so we'll take them back, all right? And uh, so we borrowed the stones. We put them there. We put them around the flowers. Surely that was going to hold it. About an hour later, I went back out there and peeked just to make sure. And where the stones were, they were down. Where the stones were not, the sheets were flapping again. I thought, man, this is not going to work. So I went out, I found sticks, I found stones, I put some spikes in. We might have a few holes in some sheets. I don't know, I didn't examine them real close. But, but every night this week, until last night, Friday night, every night we had to cover up those great tulips that I love so much so that in a few weeks they can be beautiful. I had to be diligent. We had to be diligent. And here's what I want us to see about this verb here. To be diligent is never accidental. He says, therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent. You don't accidentally pursue something with all your heart. You don't trip into spiritual devotion one morning and say, oh, I've got it all figured out because I just accidentally opened to this page and this happened. No, it is diligence. It is a commitment, he's saying. Be diligent to what? To be found by him, to be found by the Lord Jesus Christ without spot or blemish and peace. But diligence is never accidental. Examining our lives to be without spot or blemish and at peace are not something we stumble into. But I want to teach this to you this morning with joy. And here's why I say that. When we read this verse, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. There are many who would take that and examine that and say, man, I got so many spots and blemishes that I'm out. I can't be what... Peter is calling the early church to be, I can't be that. And on your own without Christ, you are 100% correct. This verse, careful, this verse is not about perfection. It is about being forgiven. Tremendous difference here. Because being without spot or blemish is found on the other side of being forgiven and experience the grace of Jesus Christ. So when we come to this, don't come to this verse begrudgingly or grumbling and say, oh, I've got to be holy. I've got to be godly. No, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I can be presented to him, through him, without spot or without blemish. 
And you and I cannot do it on our own. The moment we attempt to, the moment we try to, we find ourselves discouraged. And then he says, not only should you be diligent in being without spot or blemish, he said, but be diligent to be at peace. These three words got all over me this week. All over me this week, even in our Wednesday night time of studying uh, the book that we're walking through on forgiveness that we talked about this past Wednesday evening, this idea of peace. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're to be peacemakers. Do you realize that while we're waiting on the return of Christ, one of the things Peter says specifically that we're supposed to be diligent is, and is to be peacemakers. That means followers of Jesus Christ are not supposed to be the grumpiest, most unhappy, grudge-holding people in the world. We are to be the opposite. We are to be reconcilers. We are to be peacemakers. Believers should never be known to speak lies, spewing anger. But on the other hand, speaking truth and bringing peace. Be diligent. We are called to be committed to being distinctly different than this culture. As I've said before, it's not optional equipment. It's a calling that's been placed upon our lives. Are you grasping this this morning, that all of this is beginning to come together, that if we are going to effectively teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must be built on reconciliation and peace, A world that is broken and sinful will not buy that we have the peace of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding, but we can't get along with each other as believers. They're not looking to see what we do in this room. They're looking to see how we live outside of it. And we are called to be what? Without spot or blemish and to be peacemakers. We are also committed, because of this, we are to be committed to sharing the gospel in our communities. Verse 15 is intriguing because he says, And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Count the patience of God. He's waiting. He's not yet sent Jesus Christ to return, as we've seen to bring destruction and renewal to this earth, new heavens and new earth, count his patience as salvation, as a gift. It's giving you and I more time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without, as we face trials and we face difficulties, we are still given the joy of the Lord's salvation in our lives. One of the habits that we have We've done somewhat consistently, not all the time in our home. We kind of go through spells where we do good at this and spells that we don't. Um, but we, we love it when we do it. We read, we do a read aloud. And uh, the last couple weeks, we've been reading out of the Heroes of the Faith uh, books that we have downstairs in our media center. We've been reading the story of Sundar Singh. Besides my family, anybody else heard of Sundar Singh? Anybody? All right, there's a couple. You don't raise your hand like that. All right, Karen, you can raise your hand up, all right? There's a couple families, all right, in the room. Sundar Singh. Sundar Singh lived around the 1900s, and he was a, uh, a believer. At 16 years old, he came to Christ. 
I'm going to give you a little background here. At 16 years old, Sundar came to Christ in a Hindu culture. When he came to Christ, it was such a dangerous decision that his family at first just pushed him away. When he came back to try to gain acceptance with his family as a follower of Jesus Christ, they poisoned him before he left, before they kicked him out of the village trying to kill him. At 16 years old, this young man begins to grow in his faith and his understanding of the Lord. And so he feels called to go to the most remote regions of this area of the world and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say remote, he is trekking from one area of the country over parts of the Himalayan mountains, which are just a tad bit larger than the Blue Ridge, just in case you know. And they're snow-covered all year long. He's called to go over the mountain ridges into communities and into villages that have never seen or experienced a believer in Jesus Christ. So he goes, barefooted. This is not one of those crazy stories that your grandfather would tell you. I walked to school barefooted back and forth in the snow. This is real, all right? Barefooted, he would cross the Himalayan mountains with a robe that he would have on in his New Testament. And we'd go across into these regions. None of them wanted him there. He never got a warm welcome. He never got, oh, wow, it's Sundar. We've been waiting for him to come across the mountain pass. And every spring, he would head across the mountain. And every end of fall, he would head back. And during all those seasons, he would share the gospel with people. At one point, because of his desire to fast and follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, he went into a forest for 40 days. And because he was gone so long, they held his funeral. He was dead. According to them, this guy would never make it out of the forest without eating for 40 days and 40 nights. And so they, they held his funeral. He comes back to town and represents himself and says, hey, here I am. And they go, no, you were dead. We had your funeral. Even the bishop from out of town came in to speak at your funeral. It was a good funeral. Problem is, you're not dead. They threw him in dungeons. They threw him in old wells, abandoned with other people who had been persecuted for their, for their faith. And he kept crossing. And he kept crossing. And he kept going across this vast Himalayan mountain region to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To share that Jesus Christ had come to this earth, had lived a perfect life, that had died for his sinfulness. And that people could repent, turn their lives to Jesus Christ, submit themselves to them, and he would save them and deliver, just as we're reading today, his great and precious promises, but also the hope for all eternity. Sundar would continue to share and preach that message. Because he considered that every day that he had, he took as a gift. The patience of the Lord was a gift of salvation. It was an opportunity for him to keep going. Now, why, why do I go to great lengths to share this with you? One, because I was convicted as I was listening and preparing for today. Sundar Singh spent his entire life going to the most difficult places of the world that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He crossed mountain ranges to share with people that he never met about the hope in Jesus Christ. In 2017, all we have to do is cross the street. And I'm not asking you, church, to go to the Himalayas. I'm not asking you to go to India. I'm not asking you to communicate with people that you've never met. I'm asking you to go to people that you declare you love. 
that do not trust in Jesus as their Savior. That without a trust in Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. They're your relatives. They're your co-workers. In a few weeks, you may invite them to church, and they might come, and that would be incredible. We'll have four services that weekend, one on Saturday night, three on Sunday. They may come to Easter with you. They may come back to Christmas with you, and they may listen to me preach, but they're going to watch you live. They, they may come and listen to me preach and, and see us sing and see us rejoice, but they're going to watch how you walk through suffering. They may come twice a year and say, wow, that was great. Thanks for inviting me. But you can invite them into your lives every single day. And you don't have to cross with Sundar to the outermost regions of the world to preach the gospel. And they're not waiting for a preacher to tell them about Jesus. They're waiting for somebody that they know and love to communicate with them what has changed their lives. Jesus Christ. And we are to be committed to sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. There's other things here. We're, all, we're to be committed to remaining on guard. As if we needed one more reminder from Peter about remaining on guard. He says it again in verse 16 and 17. He says, as he does, referring to Paul in all his letters, when he speaks to them in these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist in their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Be careful that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and you lose your own stability. We're committed to living distinctly different lives. We are to be committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are committed to remaining on guard every single day. Keep your eyes open. Ask honest, hard questions of what we are each listening to. And be bold enough to ask, where if I follow this teaching, where is it going to lead me? Is it a twisted perversion of the Scriptures? Is it someone who really doesn't know how to pull apart and examine God's Word? The difficult ones like Paul teached, and Paul wrote, and Paul taught. Be on guard. Keep your eyes open. Examine the teaching, the preaching, considering Scripture. The last thing I want us to realize that Peter's calling us to throughout this book of Second Peter is this. We're committed to growing in grace and bringing glory to God. We're to be committed to growing in grace and bringing glory to God. Moments like we had at the end of worship there a few moments ago are not to be the abnormal. They are to be the everyday. They are to be what we are known for as believers. But notice what he says. And again, this is not something we haven't examined already in this series. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've got to keep being diligent. You've got to keep on growing. You've got to keep on gaining understanding. It doesn't stop. Where you are today can't be where you are a year from now. 
continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And give glory to God. Give glory to God. To to honor the Lord, to lift high his name, to not point back to ourselves and say, look what we have done, but to look back and say, look what God has done. Every day is an opportunity to to experience the beautiful gift of God's grace and his forgiveness. And for that, we give glory. Another pastor said this way, when is God to be glorified? Today and every day of eternity. So let's begin now. We should praise and exalt him in all that we do, both on Sundays when we gather to worship and every day when we think of his great love and his sacrifice that saved us from God's judgment. And then when we are with him in heaven, when he comes, we will gather around the throne and sing, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Glorify him both now and every day for all eternity. God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our placing glory and giving it to him, saying you are worthy. Why? Because you've offered salvation. You've offered your word to grow, to teach, and we must be committed to living distinctly different lives and culture. We must be committed to sharing the gospel in our community. We must be committed to remain on guard, and we must be committed to grow in grace and bring glory to God. So to bring this all to a conclusion this morning, I want to ask you two questions. Where is the teaching that you're listening to. In church and out of church, include that, please. The books that you're reading, fiction, nonfiction, the blogs that you're reading, the newspaper journals, the newspaper articles, the online articles that you have delivered every morning, where are they leading you? Love, virtue, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, love, brotherly affection. Where are those teachings leading you? Examine that honestly with wisdom. The other one question is who do you need to invite into your life to see Jesus? Notice I did not say who do you need to invite to church. Now they may come to church and that would be fantastic. But the greater challenge, see that's an easy challenge. Come to church, go sit with somebody. I'll see you later. Have a great day. Do you like it? Great, awesome. See you next year. No, I'm asking you to invite them into your life for them to see you on your good days, on your bad days, when you suffer, when you go through joyful moments, inviting them into your life, being committed to living distinctly different, being committed to sharing the gospel, being committed to remain on guard, being committed to give glory to God. Who do you need to invite into your life that you already have a relationship with, that already watches you, that already looks to you, and invite them to say, imitate me, as Paul said, as I imitate Christ. This is a calling to allow right teaching 
to give right living and to lead people to the throne of God through the grace of Jesus. Incredible teaching from God's word that's offered for us. Let's pray this morning.